Awaited Savior of Humanity, Imam Al-Mahdi alayhi salam. My respected brothers and sisters, Salamu alaykum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to our ongoing series in which we look at the themes of the chapters of the Holy Quran. And this week we have reached chapter number 16, Surat An-Nahl, chapter of the Bee. And in the previous weeks, we have been looking at Surat Al-Ra'ad, Surat Ibrahim, and then Surat Al-Hijr. And we have noticed in these particular surahs that some of these surahs, in particular, Ibrahim and Al-Hijr, they have been revealed towards the latter part of the Meccan period. And similarly, Al-Nahl is also revealed in the latter part of the Meccan period. However, revealed before those two chapters, actually after the first migration of the earliest Muslim communities to Abyssinia, in which some of the earlier Muslims managed to stay safe, managed to find a little bit of shelter when they migrated from the holy city of Mecca to Abyssinia. As every week, we begin, inshallah, by taking a moment to be able to review the different techniques and ways in which you and I are able to establish, we are able to uh, elicit the different themes of the surah. And I know many of you will be following this series since the very beginning for the last um, 17 odd weeks. And therefore it gives all of us an opportunity to be able to revise what we have learnt. But also for those of you who may be watching for the first time or may have missed some of the introductory weeks where we laid out the methodology of how to be able to extrapolate the themes of the surah, it gives all of us a chance to be able to learn together. 
So for those of you who are watching on the YouTube page or on the Instagram page, feel free to make your comments. The show, as you know, is live and interactive. And the reason why I'm going to ask you to remind us all of the main six ways, the main six techniques of being able to um, extrapolate the themes of a surah, we then, inshallah, will possibly add another one tonight, which will again help us to continue to build on the techniques and the methodologies that you and I have been practicing in order to come around and find and reflect on the themes of the surah. So in the comments, feel free to mention um, how we extrapolate the themes of the surah. And we have a couple of comments already from uh, Marziya Panju, Salaamu Alaikum Salaam wa Rahmatullah, from Muzammil Jivraj, Salaamu Alaikum, Alaikum Salaam wa Rahmatullah. Pleasure to be in your company again. So who can remind us what the different techniques of extrapolating the themes of the surah are? Ahsant, we have a, a number of comments already coming through. So let's have a look at this. We have, for example, the name of the surah. <clears throat> Indeed. So the first thing we look at is the name of the surah. The second thing we might look at is the ahadith about the surah, which we know that there are what is known as the fadail, the merits of the regular recitations of the surah. We have the beginning and the endings of the surah, the fawatih and the khawatim. Excellent. We also have the period of its revelation and to understand why the surah was revealed, in which circumstances to respond and to revert back to those understandings. We also break down the chunks of the surah. We look at the different chunks of how the sub-themes of the surah are and then we are able to put those together to see the overarching themes of the surah. We also look at the spine of the surah, as some of you have mentioned. We look at the way in which some of the, the, the central verses of the surah are repeated or the, the theme is repeated throughout the spine of the surah. And we also look at the end of the surah that came previously to see how it leads on to the forthcoming surah. Phenomenal. So these are the six main ways in which you and I are able to extrapolate the themes of the surah. I'm going to add one, and that's not because it's specific to An-Nahl. It is something that you will find throughout the Qur'an in all the different chapters. But the idea behind the class is for us to build. We don't want to give all six or seven or ten different techniques at one week, because this can become confusing, it becomes over overwhelming sometimes for us as students of the Qur'an. We need to be able to practice what we learnt. And as you know, for the first 10 odd weeks, we focused on only the first four techniques. Thereafter, we added the second two techniques to bring it to six. And tonight, inshallah, we will give you another technique which allows us to be able to see it quite clearly and distinctly in Surah Al-Nahl. So for those of you who are regular students of this discussion, you can make a note of this seventh technique and practice, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an often repeats certain ayat either exactly or sometimes he will repeat to them with some slight degrees of variations. And of course this is not the space for us to detail and discuss why. However, 
We also know at times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide us something completely unique. Every verse is unique. Every verse is um, uh, unique no matter whether it's been repeated identically or whether it's been repeated in a slightly nuanced way. But when I use the word unique here, what I mean to say is that this verse is unique to this chapter. You will not find the wording anywhere else in the Quran. And so it is unique to this particular chapter. Now, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may speak about the same topic in different ways. He may mention something in Surah Al-A'raf and he may mention it again in Al-Ghashiyah and so on and so forth. Again, when I say something unique, of course, it's going to be repeated in terms of theme. But the, what I mean is the way in which it has been mentioned in this particular chapter is unique in and of itself. And so you will not find its wording. It's like elsewhere in the Quran. When you find a verse like that, you will see that it is only mentioned in that way, in that capacity, in this particular chapter. You will see that there is something unique about that verse and that chapter. And so when we begin to build the surah and we begin to pull those verses out that are unique in and of themselves, we will be able to see why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about those particular ayat and that he has not mentioned them elsewhere within the surah, elsewhere within the Quran and so on and so forth. Let me give you an example inshallah. If you turn to Surah An-Nahl, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has many verses which are very famous, very well known in this particular chapter. That you will not find its, its exact statement in the same place. You might find its opposite elsewhere, but this particular verse is unique to this particular surah. As an example, at the beginning of the surah, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 8, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And Allah has made horses and mules and donkeys that you might ride upon them. And what are they? They're an ornament. They're a zina for you as well. And he has created, or he creates rather, what you know not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has indeed mentioned horses and mules and donkeys elsewhere in the Quran, correct? He has mentioned in the Quran that he creates what we do not know. But this particular statement of Allah is, is unique in this particular surah in the way in which it comes to you and I. And so what we can decipher from that is that the fact that Allah Jalla Jalalu has not mentioned these wordings Elsewhere in the Quran in the same way that this is unique to this chapter You will find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes for this message to come about in this particular surah Let's turn to the end of towards the end of the surah. You'll find another verse that is very well known very famous Turn to the end of the surah verse 125 Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Udu'u ila sabili وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنْ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ ضَلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُهْتَدِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us 
in this particular verse very famously call to the way of your lord how so through wisdom and goodly exhortation and have debate and disputations with them in the best of manners in the best of way the most convincing way with the best of akhlaq and so on and so forth surely your lord knows best those who go astray from his path and he knows best best those who follow the path now it's not that he doesn't talk about other types of debates in the quran he does he talks about it in chapter number 18 verse 56 he talks about debate for example in uh, surah maryam where he says that the christians they will go on debating never finding an end between themselves because their starting point is falsehoods it is incorrect to start with the idea that God is three and one or one in three. So whether you debate it from this angle or that angle, it's always going to go on because it can never come to a truth because it does not start from a truth. So it's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't speak about the topic of debate, but he does. But this particular verse is unique in the Quran in this way, in the way in which it's been put to us. It stands out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in this verse something unique for this particular chapter. Okay, so we now are up to seven different techniques of how to be able to derive the themes of a particular chapter. Let us start with the chapter itself, Surat An-Nahl, and inshallah we look into its themes this evening's study. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Surat An-Nahl is revealed in the latter part of the Meccan period. It is, however, revealed before the preceding chapters of Surah Ibrahim and Surah Al-Hijr. You'll recall in the last two weeks, we have been speaking about Surah Ibrahim and Al-Hijr, that they were revealed when the Prophet came back from Ta'if, when the Prophet was now preaching during the Hajj period when the first pledge of Aqaba was to take place when many of those different groups from around Arabia who had only come to Arabia because of Mecca and Mecca had only been created because of Prophet Ibrahim and Prophet Ibrahim had only established the Kaaba as a means of worshipping the one almighty Lord, Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. And so in these two surahs, as we stated, this was supposed to be a means of directly talking to those people who were coming to Mecca in these periods of time. As we mentioned as well, that these surahs were revealed after the deaths of Lady Khadija alayhi salam, Hazrat Abu Talib, salamullahi whereas... Surah An-Nahl is revealed before these events. It is revealed after the first migration of the Muslim community where to Abyssinia in order to protect themselves, in order to spread the faith and actually begin to make the faith of Islam international. And you will all remember the story of King Negus and why many of the Muslims had to remain in Abyssinia and then joined when the second migration took place and that was of course when the majority of the Muslims migrated from the city of Mecca to the city of Medina. 
if we look at this particular surah, we will see that it has 128 ayat. It is number 70, 70 in the order of revelation, in the Tartib al-Nuzuli. Now, let's just mention that because we tried to mention previously certain points around that. If you recall, we mentioned Surat Ibrahim was number 72 in the order of revelation. This, as we stated, Surat An-Nahl is actually 70 in the order of revelation. As you know, it is chapter number 16 in the Tartib of the Mus'haf, in the uh, uh, order of the um, Qur'an's compilation. And it is revealed, Nazalat ba'da surat al-Kahf, revealed after the chapter of al-Kahf, the famous chapter regarding Ashab al-Kahf. We have one question that's coming live. Uh, is Abyssinia modern-day Ethiopia? Yes, exactly in that particular region of Africa. Ahsant. So, if we see this particular surah, as we stated, the, the most important thing in terms of the period of revelation for us to be able to, to reflect on is that, of course, the Muslims were being boycotted. Of course, the Muslims were under immense torture. And the Muslims, the earliest group of Muslims, had migrated to Abyssinia. And as a result, it gives us an image of what's taking place in that particular time. Now, we also mentioned in chapter 13, Surah Al-Ra'ad, which of course comes three chapters before Surah Al-Nahl, that Surah Al-Ra'ad speaks about the, um, uh, speaks about the, the universe, speaks about creation, speaks about the order of creation. You'll find in Surah Al-Ra'ad the issue of thunder and lightning. You will find the issue of mountains, rivers, fruits, and so on and so forth. However, as we stated, Surah Al-Ra'ad is revealed towards the end of the period of Medina. Do you recall why? Because it was going to be responding to some of the critiques that were left over in the city of Mecca. How the Meccans were still reacting, but... If you recall our discussion about Surat Ar-Ra'ad, we stated that Ar-Ra'ad is about what? Hope and fear. We mentioned that one of the themes of Ar-Ra'ad is not only the, the, the physical universe, the order of creation, but it's very much about hope and fear. That when a person hears the thunder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sees the lightning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they become very afraid. They realize the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as a result, they begin to hope in Allah and his reward. But they also begin to fear in Allah, his majesty, his might, his power, and thus also his ability to punish as well. Now, because of this, Surah Al-Ra'ad is a very strong surah. The kind of theme of it is about the order of creation, but it's very strong in the kind of language that is used. In An-Nahl, the surah does speak about the order of creation. But actually, if you read it, in my humble reflection, it is softer than Ar-Ra'ad. The themes are a bit softer than Ar-Ra'ad. It's not to say it doesn't speak about punishment, but the language and the order of creation is more about softer types of creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When I say softer, 
I mean comparatively softer. You know, the thunder, the lightning, the mountains. These are the types of orders of creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in Surah Al-Ra'ad. These are very strong, very powerful systems of creation. In Surah Al-Nahl, you will see softer creations spoken about. You will see, obviously, the bee. You will see, for example, the donkeys, the mules, and others that we will come to. And it is softer in the way in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the order of creation. Okay. Now, let us go, inshallah, to some of the um, uh, Fadl al-Surah, the merits of the recitation of Surah Al-Nahl. For those who regularly recite Surah Al-Nahl, they would receive a particular merit, a particular thawab, insha'Allah. And let us have a look at uh, some of these. Hadith an al-Imam al-Baqiri, salawatullahu salamuhu alayhi. Our fifth Imam al-Baqir, alayhi salam, is narrated to have said, قال, من قرأ سورة النحل في كل شهر كفي المغرم في الدنيا وسبعين نوعا من أنواع البلايا أهونها الجنون والجذام والبرص وكان مسكنه أو مسكنه في جنة عدن وهي وسط الجنان. إمام عليه السلام says the following. Whoever recites Surah Al-Nahl every month, fi kulli shahrin, every month, kufiya al-maghrama fi dunya Allah would make it sufficient for him, or Allah would make sufficient for him, or he would be made sufficient for him, all of the types of fines and difficulties that is placed upon him in dunya. You know the types of fines or the types of burdens, the financial burdens that would be placed upon such a person. This would be made easy and sufficient for him to be able to manage in dunya. And also what would be made easy for him, easy to bear for him, would be satisfied from him in terms of his needs, would be 70 types of Balaya, different types of tribulation that would be placed upon him. Also, what would happen? Ahwanuha al Jununu wal Judamu wal Barasu. Also, he his medical needs, his ailments, such as the the need of the calming of the mind or the repelling of the loss of the intellectual faculties and the physical faculties, such as leprosy, these would be calmed for him. Allah would make this responded to, whereby his medical needs would also be eased for him. وَكَانَ مَسْكَنُهُ فِي جَنَّةِ عَدْنٍ وَهِيَ وَسَطُ الْجِنَانِ And Allah would give to him a place in Jannah, the like of which is already in the middle of paradise. Meaning that you are already guaranteed the middle levels of paradise. There are seven levels of paradise, as we are told and understand it. If we simplify this, Allah is already guaranteeing for you station within paradise, inshallah. This is the reward for the person who recites Surah Al-Nahl on a monthly basis. Second hadith, عن النبي Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi is narrated to have said the following. Man qara'aha. 
لم يحاسبه الله تعالى بالنعمة التي أنعمها عليه في دار الدنيا. Now this hadith is very important to the theme of the surah. In a minute we'll talk about the name of the surah, or actually the names. There are names of Surah Al-Nahl. This particular hadith gives us an ishara, an indication towards one of the names of Surah Al-Nahl. Man qara'aha, whoever reads it, the surah. Lam yuhasibuhu, Allah will not take into account bin-ni'mati for the blessings allati an'amaha that have been bestowed upon him. An'amaha alayhi fi darid dunya in this world. Now that's amazing. Now hold on to that part of the hadith. It's going to come in detail. In fact, the entirety of the theme of Surah Al-Nahl is in regards to this particular hadith. So you cannot ignore this particular hadith or kind of put it to the side and, and, and forget about its role. Allah Jalla Jalaluhu would give us the reward whereby all of the blessings that have been given to us, we would not be held accountable for them. Which of course, as you know, if we were to count the blessings of Allah, we would not be able to do so. وَأُعْطِيَ مِنَ الْأَجْرِ كَالَّذِي مَاتَ فَأَحْسَنَ الْوَسِيَّةَ And you would be given the ajr, the reward, like the one who dies, and he has left behind him the very best of wasiyya, the very best of things to come after him. Again, this hadith is very beautiful because in the discussion of Surah Al-Nahl, what you will see is we're talking about the order of creation, and what Allah makes and what He leaves behind for the posterities of generations to come. وَإِمَّاتَ فِي يَوْمَ تَلَاهَا أَوْ لَيْلَتِهِ And if you were to die on the day or the night that you happen to have read this surah, Surah An-Nahl, كَانَ لَهُ مِنَ الْأَجْرِ كَالَّذِي مَاتَ وَأَحْسَنَ الْوَصِيَّةِ Again, you would be given a particular blessing, the ajr, the reward of what? Like the one who dies, وَأَحْسَنَ الْوَصِيَّةِ And he has the very best of wasiyah. Now, <clears throat> the name An-Nahl is of course the bee. And we will see in the part of this surah, we will see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts telling us in detail about the bee. And he dedicates a couple of verses to it. You will see from verses 68 and 69, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us some details about the bee. But also, there's another name of this surah. And nahal is the famous one. And nahal is the leading one. And An-Nahl is there because, of course, it tells us about the bee itself. However, as you know, sometimes surahs have more than one name and they are referred to by more than one name. According to commentators, this surah is also called Suratan Ni'am, the chapter regarding the blessings. And what you'll find within this surah, and we're going to detail it in a few minutes' time, inshallah is that the surah is continuously, continuously 
directly addressing the human being, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah over and over and over again uses the word lakum. We have done something for you. We have made something for you. We have given this to you. And this happens in 20 odd verses at least in the surah, but it happens continuously throughout the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we made for you this. We made for you this. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks about your gratitude and whether you are truly grateful or ungrateful for the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you. Let's have a look at some of those verses that tell us about the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that you get some context of how this uh, chapter, although it's named An-Nahal, is also named the chapter of the blessings as well. I'll give you maybe just four or five verses so you get a picture of it. And then inshallah, as we go through the uh, chunks of the verses, you'll see it in detail for yourself. We haven't yet got to the Fawatih and the Khawatim. We're coming to it in a bit. We're still on the name of the surah, yes? So we've told you where the verses regarding An-Nahal are. And now let's show you where the, the verses regarding the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are. Okay, verse number 18, number one. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةُ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَغَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ And if you were to count the favors of Allah, you would not be able to number them then most surely Allah is forgiving, merciful. So the first time Allah mentions here, verse number 18. Turn to verses 48 and 49. Verse 50 is the verse of sajda. I won't recite it because then we'll all take the break. You can recite it at the end of the surah for yourself, inshallah. Verses 48 and 49. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. min shay'in فَيَّأُوا ذِلَالُهُ عَنِ الْيَمِينِ وَالشَّمَائِلِ سُجَّدًا لِلَّهِ وَهُمْ دَاخِرُونَ Do they not consider everything that Allah has created? Its very shadows return from right and left, making obeisance to Allah whilst they are in utter abasement. وَلِلَّهِ يَسْجُدُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ دَابَّةٍ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ وَهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ Whatever creature that is in the heavens and the earth makes uh, obeisance to Allah only and the angels too, and they do not show pride. So here you can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that we, He has created everything for us. He has asked us to reflect on all of the different creations. Why? Because ultimately these are a blessing for us. You'll see in the subsequent verses how this comes to light. Verse 53. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وَمَا بِكُمْ مِن نِعْمَةٍ What was the name of the surah? The surah of the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, verse number 53. وَمَا بِكُمْ مِن نِعْمَةٍ فَمِنَ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ إِذَا مَسَّكُمُ الظُّرُّ فَإِلَيْهِ تَجْعَرُونَ And whatever favor is bestowed upon you, it is from Allah. And obviously, in the preceding verses, we mention that because we have considered all the blessings that we could possibly consider, that's when we make obeisance to Allah, Jalla Jalaluhu. Whatever favor, again, ni'mah, is bestowed upon you from Allah, then what happens when evil afflicts us? What happens? 
Unto Allah do we cry for assistance. Verse 82, you will also see the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought up here. The ni'mat is mentioned. Verse number 83, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. يَعْرِفُونَ نِعْمَةُ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ يُنْكِرُونَهَا وَأَكْثَرُهُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They recognize the favor of Allah, yet they end up denying it. And most of them are indeed truly ungrateful. May Allah not make us amongst those who are the ungrateful ones. So here, the names of the surah are very important. As much as this is named Surah Al-Nahal, Actually, the surah, the theme of the surah, you will find, is all about the different ni'mat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll come to those shortly, inshallah. Now, I'm going to come to the uh, beginning and the end of the surah, inshallah. And one of the other sub-themes you will find is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishing to tell us about the natural world. I mentioned this in regards to its comparison with Surah Al-Ra'ad. But that Surah Al-Ra'ad is a much harsher, stronger type of um, uh, surah regarding the natural order, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, when you see the opening and the closing of the surah, you will see that actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the gratitude or ingratitude of that which we have been given. And that is, again, directly related to the ni'mah of Allah. So there's no contradiction here. There's no such thing as, you know, oh, this seems to be a different theme. The central theme is about the blessings of Allah. And Allah enumerates the blessings through his description of the natural order. But then at the beginning and the end of the surah, the fawatih and the khawatim, you will actually see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the gratitude and ingratitude for the Ni'mat of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. I'm going to read to you here from uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Ghazali in his book Journey Through the Quran. I have referenced this book a couple of times in our discussions and I think he writes this particularly well. Let's have a look insha'Allah. He says the following. Now we come to the second of the themes mentioned earlier and that for which Surah Al-Nahl is justly celebrated. Its magnificent and beautiful evocation of the natural world as a manifestation of divine generosity and blessing to us human beings for which in justice we should be endlessly thankful but for which we are all too often displaying arrogance and ingratitude to Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. In this surah what Allah will do is Allah will list endless blessings that he has given to us in order that we become aware of them, grateful for them, and then believing in him. The subject of gratitude and ingratitude of ni'mat is introduced by an affirmation of Allah first as the creator of the universe and then as the creator of mankind, mentioning our tendency, despite our most humble origin, to dispute our Lord's sovereignty. He mentions verses 3 to 4. He created the heavens and the earth with the truth. He is exalted above any partner they attribute to him. Then in the extended passages of intense lyrical beauty, Allah gives us a list of many gifts. And that's throughout the beginning half of the chapter of Surah Al-Nahl. He continues, 
we can see why Surah An-Nahl has the alternative name of Surah An-Ni'am, the chapter of blessings, and an ayat which follows this list encapsulates it. Verse number 18 of Surah An-Nahl, if you try to number Allah's blessings, you would never be able to count them. And then he mentions if you turn towards the uh, end of the surah, you will see that the theme of gratitude and ingratitude is constantly mentioned. For example, verse number 58 to 59 in the middle of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, for example, when any of them is given good news of a baby girl, his face darkens and he is furious. He hides away from people because of the evil of the good news which he has been given. Should he keep it ignominiously or bury it in the earth? Allah gave a blessing of a baby daughter. But look at the way in which they treated this blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Elsewhere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions again about the ingratitude. Take, for example, chapter 16, verse 72 to 73. So why do they believe in falsehood and reject the blessings of Allah and worship instead of Allah things that do not control one iota of their provisions from the heavens and earth? Are they completely impotent? So again, it's speaking about the way in which they reject the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, verse 112, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Allah coins the similitude of a city. Which city? Mecca. Allah now talks about the rejection of the blessings of Mecca. Allah coins a likeness of a city which was safe and at peace. You'll remember that Ibrahim alayhi salam asked for a city of peace. Its provision coming to them plentiful from every side. Mecca is supposed to be a barren land. Yet Allah makes for it the river of Zamzam. Yet Allah makes for it towns surrounding it, whereby now it's safe, whereby now that there is a civilization, there is a culture. Then it showed ingratitude for Allah's blessings. O people of Mecca, you showed ingratitude to Allah for the blessings that he gave. And so Allah made it bear the robe of hunger and fear for what it did. A messenger from amongst them came to them, but they denied him. So the punishment gripped them whilst they were wrongdoers. As much as this speaks to a previous community, it is also directly informing the people of Mecca. So you can see here that the theme of Surah Al-Ni'am is the blessings of Allah versus the rejection of the blessings of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. This is something called Kufran Al-Ni'mat. Kufran Al-Ni'mat, doing Kufr, rejecting the blessings of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And so this is the balance of the theme of Surah An-Nahal. Once we now go through a number of the, the verses, we will then come again at the end and we will list the sub-themes that we find within Surah Al-Nahl, inshallah, and bring it all together. Let's begin with the opening verse and try to just point out what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Ata amrullahi fala tasta'ajiluh. 
سبحانه وتعالى عما يشركون Allah's commandment, his affair, his amr has come. Allah's decision has come. Therefore, do not seek to hasten it. Why was this verse revealed? As we mentioned, the period was slightly prior to the deaths of Lady Khadija alayhi salam, Abu Talib alayhi salam, the brutal tortures upon the Muslims were taking place and the Muslim community in terms of the circumstance that they found themselves in was so severe and so difficult for them to be able to bear. As a result the Meccans felt that they had a power or a domination over the Muslims that they could not lose from. They felt that their domination was to remain upon the Muslims and so they had the audacity to say, you really think your God is going to make you victorious? He's really going to take over Mecca? He's really going to destroy us as a people, as a civilization, as a culture of paganism and polytheism? Bring it. Bring it on, no problem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, Ata amrullah, the decision's made. You don't get to decide when Mecca is going to fall. You don't get to decide when the Muslims are going to become successful. It has been ordained. Therefore, do not try to hasten it. It cannot happen. It will not happen. But also at the end of it, you don't want it to happen. You don't want to hasten on the punishment that has been ordained and written for you. Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. Glory be to Allah. Far above and exalted is that which you try to associate with him. يُنَزِّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ بِالْرُوحِ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ أَنْ أَنْذِرُوا أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاتَّقُونَ Allah sends down the angels with the ruh. The ruh here is the Qur'an. Ruh here, here is revelation. Yes? And one of the sub-themes is that in this surah you will see that Allah talks about the Qur'an a lot. Allah talks about it in the second half of the surah Al-Nahl, a lot about the Qur'an itself and why the Qur'an was revealed. We will point out those verses when we get there, inshaAllah. So Allah says He sends down the ruh, in this sense, the ruh is the kitab of Allah, with the angels. How so? Min amrihi, again by His command which is mentioned in the first verse as well. عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ Upon whomsoever he wills, مِنْ عِبَادِهِ From amongst his servants. أَنْ أَنْذِرُوا أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاتَّقُونَ What is he supposed to do? Warn that there is no God but me, therefore be careful of your duty to me. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins and he lists, or in this verse, verse number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now actually begins the series of verses about the ni'mat of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. He now begins to enlist all of the multiple different things that Allah has given to you. How does he start it? Phenomenal verse. He created the heavens and the earth with truth, or rather with the truth, or rather in absolute truth. 
which means that there is no element of falsehood, no element of crookedness, no element of play, no element of, of, of anything short of the absolute truth that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, look, خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ You see here, Allah is saying, when He says samawat here, He means everything that you don't see. The whole universe is beyond your perception, right? وَالْأَرْضِ And uh, everything that you do see within the creation that you are entwined in at your presence. All of this has been created bilhaq, which means if the entirety is created in haq, even the smallest thing that you are engaged in or that you share with in creation is also created bilhaq, which is where we'll come to in terms of an-nahal, the bee as well. Ta'ala amma yushrikun. Again, Allah has to repeat it. He is far above what they associate to him. Okay, now. As a result, Allah says, look, if I've created the whole of the universe in this way, who is that creation that is going to dispute it? Allah says, the only creature that disputes it, he names it, the only creature that disputes this is the human being. And what Allah does is put the human being in his place. I created the heavens and the earth in truth. And then he says in verse 5, خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِن نُطْفَةِ he created man from sperm. Nutfa in the Arabic language, according to um, some dictionaries, the meaning of the word nutfa is a type of thing, it's a type of dirt that you just want to get off your clothes. That if it was if it was on your clothes, you would you would try your best to get it off you. Allah is saying, This is what the human being is created from. Something that ordinarily you would try to get off from your clothes because of the nature of the dirt. فَإِذَا هُوَ خَصِيمٌ مُبِينٌ And yet he is an open contender to God? Really? Allah created all of this and you think this, cre this creation thinks he's able to contend with God? Now from verse number 5. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to list all of the different types of blessings that Allah has made for you and I. And there are plenty, numerous. And the point I'm going to make here is, because I want you to note it down in your own time. If you get a chance, as we're going along, put them in columns. If you want to do it now, you've got your pen and pads, make a column. Yeah. Say, for example, um, uh, things that we can eat, things we can drink, things that are... Uh, health benefits, things that are spiritual benefits, things that are intellectual benefits, things that are um, benefits in terms of preservation from heat or hunger or from war. Just make columns, seven, eight different columns of things that are blessings. Now see all of these verses and where they might fit in. I'm going to just try to read them quickly because there's so many verses in this surah. I need to be able to get through it in order for us to finish. Verse number five. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Look how Allah says He creates it for you constantly, right? خَلَقَهَا And the cattle, He created it for you, for it, the human beings. So He makes cattle. لَكُمْ فِيهَا دِفْءٌ 
He created cattle for you. You have in them warm clothing and many advantages, and of them do you eat. So how many different types of blessings in one animal here? One cattle. Walakum, continue reading, right? Verse number six. Walakum. Fiha Jamalun Hina Turi Huna Wahina Tasrahun. And there is beauty in them for you when you drive them back to home and when you send them forth to pasture. Again, different types of blessings that are mentioned here. Watahmiru Athala kum ila baladin lam takunu balihihi illa bishakil anfus inna rabbakum rara ufun rahim. And they carry your heavy loads to regions which you could not reach except if it was going to be distressful for yourself. Most surely your Lord is compassionate, merciful. He made horses and mules and donkeys that you may ride upon them. So these are all different types of uh, transport, modes of transport. And he creates what you know not, which means he's going to infinitely, continuously make different types of uh, uh, modes of transport for you. It continues. And Allah, it rests upon to show you the right way. So again, it's a blessing from Allah, but in the context of the way, the way of guidance. Continues. He is the one who sends down water from the cloud to you. Why? Again, more blessings that are mentioned. Continue reading. Verse number 11. He causes to grow for you, thereby the herbage and the olives and the palm trees and the grapes and the all types of fruits. Verse 12. Uh, 13 Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says I have created from you in the earth various types of creatures You know there are three trillion species in the world three Trillion species. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مُخْتَلِفًا alwanuhu, Varied types of hues of creation we have made for you. Verse 14. He says, we has made for you all of these things. He has made for you the sea that is subservient to you. You can bring uh, uh, fresh flesh from it. You can wear ornaments from it. He allows you to make ships that goes on the sea smoothly. Again, verse number 15. What else is the blessings that Allah gives to you? He puts mountains. Otherwise, the earth would shake and it would be unlivable for you on this earth. Now, having placed all of these blessings, and there's more in the surah. Having now placed all of these blessings in front of you, verse number 17. Sorry, 
Is he the one who creates like him who does not create? Are you really going to compare this Allah to this idol that you <laughs> say is God? Really? Do you not even take consideration and bring to mind what you're talking about? If you were trying to count the blessings of Allah, you would never be able to number them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says now, the fact that you probably have never tried to count them or try to think of them, and it's a failure on your part, the fact that you've not thanked Allah is a failure on my part, don't worry, Allah is going to forgive you for it. Be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's continue because we don't want to take too much uh, time. The surah is very lengthy, um, but we'll try to work through some of it. Now the next verses from that section, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from verse 19 to 23 speaks about the tawheed, the wahdani of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he knows all of these things. He even knows what is in your heart, what your actions are, what you manifest, what you hide. Now in verse 24, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Look, when this Quran is revealed, they end up asking, What has been revealed? What is it that God has said? Verse 24, They say it's just stories of the ancients. Think about it. Allah has just spent the first 20 verses of this surah naming all the different blessings, ni'mah, that you have in your life. One after the other, in different fields of your life. That Allah has made life for you easy. What do they reduce the Qur'an to? It's just stories of the ancients. It's not, is it? That's a cop-out. You're falsely reducing the beauty of the Qur'an when you say something like this. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the subsequent verses, Allah then says in verse 26 that part of this natural order of the system of my creation is that I can even make the nature of system work against you. See verse number 26. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, For Allah can make it that their houses, their buildings can be demolished from their foundations from underneath them. The roofs will fall over you. And this is the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah can destroy you from below, He can destroy you from above. This is the system that Allah has created. Do you really feel secure to say that the Idol can keep you safe from Allah who's created all of these things. Now it continues in verses 27 uh, all the way onwards to verse 35. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about heaven and hell, the consequences and the results of people's belief systems and the way in which they were to act and the way in which they were to think. Verse 35 says, and they who give associates to Allah say, if Allah had pleased, we would not have served anything besides Allah. Neither we nor our fathers. Nor would we have prohibited anything without the order of Allah. Thus did those before them. This is then ought incumbent upon the 
apostles just the plain delivery of the message. Allah is saying here, this is another cop-out. The same way they say about the revelation, it's just stories of the ancients when they know it's more than this. They will also say, those people who make uh, shirk with Allah, if Allah had desired, we would not be this way. No, 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 no. Don't blame Allah for your lifestyle. Don't blame Allah Jalla Jalaluhu for the problems within your community. Allah is not to blame for these things. We and our fathers, we wouldn't have made this system of a community had it not been for Allah. Allah decided it like this. No, no. Allah says we send you messengers. You decided not to pay attention, not to pay heed to them. So again, you can see the cop out of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which are the Anbiya and Mursaleen. And then in verse 36, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the central role of prophets. Allah says in verse number 37, very importantly, if you desire for their guidance, Ya Rasulullah, yet surely Allah does not guide those who he allows them to be led astray. Why do they lead themselves astray? Verse 38, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that they take oaths against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they say by Allah we will never be raised now if we continue verse 41 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the hijrah the first migration of those who went to Abyssinia now this is mentioned throughout the surah of surah al-nahl I won't go through the verses because time is short but if you want to see from uh, verse 41 and also write down, please, verse 97, verse 102, and verse 110. All of these verses are about the first migration. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises these individuals so highly for the migration that they underwent. There's a very famous hadith which is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari that Asma bint Umais, salamullahi alayha, the great noble lady, Asma bint Umais, comes and visits the daughter of Umar ibn al-Khattab, Hafsa. And when she visits Hafsa, Umar ibn al-Khattab gloats to Asma and says, we, yani Umar says, we, we, are more privileged in the eyes of Allah than you are because we took the migration from Mecca to Medina before you. Yani, yeah, you went on migration, but we went to Medina before you. You came after Medina than when we went. Asma bint Umais, salamullahi alayha, gets angry with Umar ibn al-Khattab and stops him in his tracks. You know what she says in Sahih al-Bukhari? She says that... You, Umar, you Muslims were fed by the hand of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi in the Sha'b of Abu Talib. He looked after you whilst you were migrating. We had to depart Mecca and go to Abyssinia on our own whilst we were despised and we had to wait without having the hand of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi feeding us directly. At that point, Asma became so angry with Umar ibn al-Khattab, the hadith says she went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and actually stated to him the conversation that took place between Asma herself and Umar ibn al-Khattab. 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi asked the dialogue. She narrated exactly what was said back and forth. And then actually Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi praised Asma bint Umayz for her reaction. And she said the words, listen to the words. No one is closer to me than you are Asma from these people that you have been debating against. You debated Hafsa, you debated Umar, you Asma are closer to me than they are. So the first Hijrah is mentioned here from verses 41 to 44 and then in verses 97, 102 and 110. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in verses 48 and 49 and 50, these are the central verses, the spine verses to the surah itself. And it asks us to consider that Allah has created all of these things, this order in creation, which all of these are blessings for you and I. It continues, verses 52 and 53, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again speaks about the ni'mat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verses 53 all the way down to verse 60, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes how the disbelievers react to the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, the lesson is that we don't act in the same way. We are not supposed to set aside the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the same way the mushrikeen did. Verse 61 is very interesting. Have a read of verse 61. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Walau yu'akhid Allahu an-nasa bi dhulmihim ma taraka 'alayha min dabbatin walakin yu'akhiruhum ila ajalin musamma fa idha jaa'a ajaluhum la yasta'khiruna sa'atan wala yastaqdimun. This goes back to verse number 1. Do you remember in verse number 1 we stated Allah says ata amrullah. Allah's decision has come. Do not try to hasten the decision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now in verse 61, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, If Allah had destroyed mankind because of their inequity, because of the sins, because of the dhulm that they do, not a single dabbah of Allah would be left on the earth. However, he respites us to an appointed time. He allows us to continue on until a certain time. Now, look at the opposite word. There's anas, mankind, and there's dabba. Dabba can be creature, animal, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is either saying that although we are nas, by extent of the dhulm that we do on earth, we have become like dabba. We have become like animals. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that because mankind was to be destroyed, as a result, everything else would be destroyed alongside it. Like, for example, Nuh alayhi salam. When Allah decided to destroy the people of Nuh, what happened? A flood came and destroyed all the animals and all the crops and all the trees and everything else. According to some minority of riwayat, animals were taken onto the uh, ark. Whether or not these are accepted hadith, this is a discussion for another time. Allah says, if we were to take account for people, what would happen? We would end up destroying everything. That's how much dhulm man has done upon animals. How much he has done upon earth. 
that even, even then we would take away the animals because of what human beings have done. This verse, in my humble opinion, needs a lot of tafakkur and tadabbur, especially when it comes to the issues that we are facing today around protection of our environment, around the issue of um, global warming and so on and so forth. Maybe one day you and I will have more chance to, to think about this verse together. Continues. I would have time to go through it all. I'm just going to skip through it. Verses 63, 64, 65, 66, 67 are different blessings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reiterates. He names them. In your own times, you can put them into your columns and you can try to figure out where Allah talks about different blessings. They are all different blessings that he specifies. Verses 68 and 69 is the B. Now you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all these previous versings about blessings and there's more to come. Allah talks about the blessings in very general senses. He makes this for you, it is a blessing. He makes this for you, you have a kind of outcome of it. Allah now also mentions another animal and he specifies this animal and what its blessings are. And the reason for that is to show you that even the creation that is the smaller of creations, they have a system within themselves, an order within the universe that they too are very subject to destruction. As we said in the previous verse, Allah says, if we were to destroy, then not a single creation would be left. A dabba would be left. That even these small animals, they too could be so beneficial to human, uh, human beings. They could be so, so much at the use of the human beings. If only you were to take the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, instead what you do is you reject the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you try to aggregate these blessings to all of these different idols that you have created for yourselves. But if you were to really obey Allah, Allah would give you infinite blessings within these different creatures that he has made for you. He has already explained to you the cattle and how much benefit you take from the cattle. The donkey, how much blessing you take from the donkey. How many blessings you now take from the bee. Let's have a read. Verse number 68. Allah revealed to the bee Make hives in the mountains as your homes And within the trees as well And what they build from their hives And what they make from their structures inside these things so Allah is saying that within the largest system of creation and the smaller system of creation, Allah has made this. And look how intimate all of these creations are that they interlock with each other. All of them are related to each other. All the biodiversity have a relationship with one another. They are all very soft. They're all very delicate creatures that at any one time can be destroyed. But if you were to understand them, they will emit so many blessings for you. Verse number 69. Then eat of all of the fruits. And walk the ways of your Lord submissively. It's very important. Please understand. Walk on the earth softly. Act submissively with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and the creation, the order that he has made for you. Don't damage this creation. Use this creation and you will see more and more blessings come out for you as a result of this. From amongst them in the bee, you will see that what comes from them is a beverage of many colors, many tastes and a healing for you for man. And this is a sign for those who wish to be able to reflect. Allah continues on in the description of his blessings, verses 71, 72. I'm just going to make a quick note. If you read verse 72, Allah says that amongst the blessings he has made for you is your wives. Of course, it's spouse, husbands and wives, right? Before I get in trouble. And your children and your grandchildren. These are blessings Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. So don't forget all of these blessings that he has given to you. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions in verse number 75 the type of economy that the Meccans are used to in order for it to make sense to them, the types of blessings that they have been given. I'm rushing because the surah is very lengthy. Verse 78 to 81, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to mention individual blessings. Again, please read them in your own time. Note it down. 78 to 81 are blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. Verse 83 is a central verse to the whole surah. يَعْرِفُونَ نِعْمَةُ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ يُنْكِرُونَهَا وَأَكْثَرَهُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ These are the blessings that Allah has given. They recognize them, but they reject the blessings that Allah gives, which is why the surah is about the ni'mah and the kufranun ni'mat as well. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that on the day of judgment, the fact that you have rejected my blessings in dunya, you will not be able to solicit blessings from me in akhirah. Read verse 84. No permission shall be given to those who disbelieve, nor will they be able to solicit favor. Can you see? Akhirah, no favor. Why? Because dunya, you rejected the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues in verse number uh, 89 and 90. Allah raises people on the day of judgment. They will be a witness from amongst themselves. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, speaks about doing good and justice to others, which of course, as you can imagine, refers to the rest of creation as well. Right? Inna Allah ya'muru bil adli wal ihsan. It's to everything in creation. This whole chapter is about the creation of Allah and the favors that are within the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse 91, Allah says, وَأَوْفُوا بِالْأَحْدِ Fulfill your covenant that you have made with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse number 92, do not be like her who unravels the blessings that Allah has given in the first place. Yeah? Don't be like who unravels the yarn, the tight knitting that you have put. Yeah, when you have a cloth and there's a, you know, a, a loose thread and you pull it, you unravel the cloth. Allah says, don't do this. Don't unravel the ni'mah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you. Now Allah says in verse number 97, if you're a believer and you good do, good, do good deeds, Allah will do what? فَالْنُحْيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبًا Allah would make you live a happy life. 
So if you believe and do good deeds, and you look after this creation, Allah will give you even more. He will give you a hayatun tayyiba, a pure and lofty life for you to be able to leave. Verse uh, 98, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Quran all the way down to uh, verse 106. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Quran. So from verse 98 all the way down to verse 106, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about revelation. And I told you this surah also speaks in detail about the Quran as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells us the reason as to why someone would disbelieve in revelation itself. This is important. We never want to fall into the trap. Verse 107. It is because we love dunya over akhirah. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ they love dunya more than they love akhirah. Verse 110 to verse 113, Allah speaks about the migration, the first migration of those going to Abyssinia. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells the Meccans basic rulings. This is important. Having now told you, you've got your cattle and what comes from it is blessings. You've got bee and what comes from it is blessings. You now ex accept, you accept that there are a system within the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of what you should be taking and what you should not be taking. Right? Allah talks about the seas, that you're able to take uh, fresh meat from there. Now Allah says in verse 114 to uh, 116 about the rules of eating. Why? Because, of course, this is from the natural order of things. Allah says in this verse, in this series of verses, look, we even gave these rulings to the Jews before you, O Makkans. You know about these rulings. You are from the people of Ibrahim. Your neighbors are Jews. Jews live in your city, live in your surrounding cities. So you know that these were given, these rulings and prohibitions were given to the Jews. Why do you not reflect that they would also then be given to you as well? Now it's interesting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this section is doing what? He's trying to purify their soul by ensuring that they eat good things, tayyib things. Because if their soul will become purer, they are then more likely to accept the idea of the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If their soul is taking impure things, then when the discussion of Allah comes, they are more likely to reject the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse 120 to 123 is about Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Why? Because this is a surah addressing the Meccans. And as I told you, a few surahs later, Surah Ibrahim and Surah Al-Hijr are going to be revealed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about the Jews again in verse 124. Verse 125, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you're going to debate with the Meccans, debate with the Jews, O Muslims, debate with them in the very best way, in such a way that you're going to overcome them. وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنْ أَحْسَنْ يعني not just the best way, the way that is going to defeat your opposition when you debate them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to the Muslims about patience. In verse 126 and 27 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concludes the entirety of the surah by saying, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Inna allaha ma'alladheena taqaw walladheena hum muhsinoon. Surely Allah is with those who guard against evil and those who do good to others. So, what are the themes of Surah An-Nahl? As we stated, it is a surah about the ni'mat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as is the other name. And it is the ni'mat in the natural order that Allah has given in all different elements of our life. Please go through it and you will see the entirety of the surah and the different things that Allah has given. So what is the theme? Allah asks us to consider creation and the blessings that he has given to us. And one particular one in the bee. As an example of all of the different creations that we understand the blessings come from and that we don't realize the blessings come from. He details the bee for that purpose. He speaks about the migration, the first migration to Abyssinia. He puts the human being in his place by showing the difference between the grandiosity of creation of the heavens and the earth, bilhaq, and yet the human being, huwa khasimun mubin, he is outrightly opposing Allah, even though he is made from nutfa, something that you want to get off your clothes. Allah speaks about the natural order and the softness of natural order and how the natural order can be devastated, how it can be manipulated, how it can be cultured, how it can be revived. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about gratitude and ingratitude and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Quran. Therefore, the overriding theme of Surah An-Nahl is the natural order, the blessings that Allah gives to you and I, and how all of those are actually the tools to be able to recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Either we can be amongst those who are grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or we can be amongst those who are ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the theme of Surah An-Nahl to those early Muslims who were in the situation in which they were in, and to the Meccans who were oppressing the Muslims in the situation that they were in. I hope this is of benefit to you, inshallah, and you have understood the theme of Surah Al-Nahl. Walhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallillahumma ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina Muhammad wa alihi al-tahirin. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajuhum. That, brothers and sisters, takes us to Surah Al-Nahl. There are some comments that uh, I will read out, inshallah. Um, and maybe we can try to answer some of the questions. If you have any, I will do my best to be able to answer some of them in the time in which we have before Maghrib comes in. So, Brother Muzammil asked about the Ruh. Would you say that the Ruh is explained in Surah 17, verse 85? Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the word Ruh in different capacities. Sometimes Ruh is Archangel Jibra'il. Sometimes Ruh is our soul. Sometimes Ruh is revelation. It depends on the context in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using it. And therefore you would need to see the individual verses and how Allah decides to use the word, the word Ruh in that particular ayah. Brother Akbar Karawali has asked, Salam alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Where do we find the order of Surah Revelation, i.e., the Tartib al Nuzuli, and how it is connected to the history of Islam? Excellent question. So, 
in books of uloom al-Qur'an, the sciences of Qur'an and the compilation of Qur'an, these are mentioned. So for example, um, uh, Suyuti, uh, the great Sunni scholar, has mentioned the order of uh, each chapter's revelation and he takes it from Ibn Abbas radiallahu an. Abdullah ibn Abbas, the student of Imam Ali alayhi salam, a great professor of the Qur'an who took everything he learned from Ali ibn Abi Talib salawatullahu alayhi Now those are accepted broadly speaking, that they are accepted that that was the revelation, the fact that it's been retained and kept that way. Of course there are some disputes, some minor disputes here and there, but broadly speaking it's accepted from Abdullah bin Abbas and for example in Shia Tafasir such as Min Hud al-Qur'an it is also mentioned in there and every time we speak about the surah I am giving to you the order of revelation if you go into Google and you type in Wiki Qur'an or Shia Wiki and then the surah you will see that each of the pages about each surah also has the uh, the order of the revelation, the Tartib al-Nuzuri, which again goes back to Abdullah ibn Abbas. I hope that helps. Would you also say, Brother Muzammil is asking, would you also say that the Muslims had the very gracious Ansar who gave the Muhajirin comfort and economic aid, but the migration of Abyssinia was a foreign land with no help except from the king? Yes, so if you want to see the whole surah that is dedicated to um, the migration, or one of the surahs that is uh, dedicated to uh, the migration, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about it in chapter number 59, Surah Al-Hashr. Chapter number 59, Surah Al-Hashr, is specifically about the Ansar and the Muhajireen. I don't want to give away too much because then you won't listen to the uh, 59th discussion in this series about the Maqasid al-Sur. But have a look at Surah Al-Hashr in your own time, inshallah. There are other surahs as well, but this is the main one. Um, does he talk of Lut and Nuh and Thamud in verse 61? Yes, so it speaks about the previous, um, the previous prophets. So it does speak about those. Let's have a look uh, which uh, verse you're talking about. Verse number 61. You know, so verse number 61 we spoke about. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that man would be destroyed if he, Allah took us to account for what we really do. All of us would be destroyed. And that is mentioned uh, in the Fadl of the Surah. Do you remember in the Fadl of the Surah, I mentioned to you um, that in the second hadith, An Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, man qara'aha, whoever reads Surah Al-Nahl, lam yuhasibhullahu ta'ala bin ni'mah. Allah would not take us to account for the ni'mah, which is the opposite of what we do. We do dhulm to the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah's ayah is saying in verse 61, we would be destroyed if Allah was to truly take us to account. The regular reciter of Surah Al-Nahl gets the reward where he is not taken to account for the ni'mat that he is given. Very nice comment here. Your lectures are very interesting. Alhamdulillah. It's not me. I'm just reading out the ayat to you. I normally hate listening to lectures, but I find your lectures very interesting. That's very kind. From Zaki, nine years old. May Allah bless you, brother Zaki. 
Uh, I'm grateful to your comment. Um, remember, it's not me. I'm literally just reading the ayat of the Quran to you. Read the Quran and you will fall in love with the Quran, inshallah, more than any other lecturer could ever help you to understand the Quran. You will understand the Quran for yourself, inshallah. Why does Allah give us respite? Because He is most merciful. That's why. And in this surah, you will read Allah says, He is Ghafurun Rahim. He is Raufun Rahim. Well done, Zaki. May Allah bless you, Brother Zaki. Sister Fatma Dala mentions that you should listen, definitely. We've got another positive comment, Zaki. Lots of people are replying to you, mashallah. Uh, is there a hadith of the ant with Sulaiman saying, Don't punish us for the sins and the dhulms? done by the human beings i will check it inshallah in time for us to come to that particular chapter when we come to surat and namal nice comments here inshallah sister nasira says salam alaikum salam rahmatullah what is the usage of the word animals when allah talks about us taking advantage from them please expand on the minority opinion about animals boarding the ark too okay um, so what is the usage of the word animals when Allah talks about us taking advantage of them? So let's bring the verse inshallah. So I, I, I think you're talking about verse number 69. Is this correct? Which verse? Can you remind me which verse are you speaking about when Allah says um, animals? Taking advantage of them. Is that uh, Shifa on Linnas? Is that the one that you're referring to, sister? And please expand on the minority opinion about animals boarded on the ark. It is most commonly known in the Christian version of the story of uh, uh, Prophet Nuh salam, that the animals boarded the ark two by two. In a very minority of ahadith, um, in uh, later collections of ahadith, things like Hayat al-Qulub, Bihar al-Anwar, which are a thousand years, literally one thousand years after the Quran's revelation, we find ahadith about Nuh alayhi salam, where he brings all the animals onto the, um, onto the ark. Now, this is problematic because the Mufassirin have debates as to whether the entirety of the earth was flooded or partially of the earth flooded. Because, of course, if the entirety of the earth is flooded, then as an outcome, all animals are destroyed. And so all animals need repopulating again. Whereas if it is only part of the earth that was destroyed by the flood, then only a certain number of animals needed to be brought onto the ark because only a small number of animals then needed to repopulate the earth. Does that make sense? So in the traditional story in the Christian belief, the entirety of the world is wiped out. Even some of our most contemporary Mufassirin have also suggested the entirety of the earth was flooded. If you look in the commentary of His Eminence, Grand Ayatollah, Sayyid Muhammad Sayyid Fadlullah, Rahmatullahi Ta'ala Alayh, in uh, his tafsir Min Wahi Al-Qur'an, he mentioned the word Ard. He says the earth was flooded. 
Also in the tafsir of Sayyid Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Taqi al-Mudarrasi, he also says the word earth. Now this is in contradiction to the science that we know. We do understand anthropologically that there was a flood that overcame the Middle East, Iraq, and maybe up to Turkey some few thousand years ago. And we know that by the sediment of the rock. But there's no evidence scientifically or anthropologically or anything like that to suggest the entirety of the earth was destroyed by the flood. Now the ahadith then are called into question. When the, the ahadith actually say that all the animals were brought onto the earth, onto the ark, this raises a question. Firstly, why are those ahadith so late in coming? A person might argue that this is either a Christian apologetic or this is Israeliyat ahadith. Yani these are ahadith that have come in through Israeliyat, through uh, Jewish and Christian sources. There is no need for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring every creature on the ark. But also it's not possible. I mean, obviously Allah can do whatever he wants. I'm not denying the miraculous nature of it. But when you begin to think about it, you immediately start to question whether this is something um, that is actually in accordance with our understanding of the incident of uh, the flooding. And this is why it is a debated issue. It's a minor, minor issue. Most people don't even go into it. I remember my father and I had a back and forth debating, discussing this. And then I actually sent him some ayat and some ahadith which do infer, infer that there are animals on the boat, on the ark. The dispute is that it can't be all animals as is suggested by the Christian version and by some minority sets of ahadith in things like Hayat al-Qulub and Bihar al-Anwar of His Eminence Allama Majlisi Rahmatullahi Ta'ala Alayhi One answer, one comment here, thank you, you're very welcome, MashaAllah Verse 69, sister is saying, yes, verse 69 So, <clears throat> the question was, um, uh, what is the usage of the word animals here in the context of taking advantage? Now the context, in my understanding, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the uh, surah, um, I'm just trying to find the verse. If you go back to verse 12, sister, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us verses 12 and 13. Yeah? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allah has made subservient at your behest, your benefit, your usage, the night and the day. وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرِ وَالنُّجُومُ مُسَخَّرَاتٌ بِأَمْرِهِ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ قَوْمٍ يَعْقِلُونَ وَمَا ذَرَأَ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُخْتَلِفًا أَلْوَانُهُ So all of the different creations have actually been made as subservient to you and I. Meaning for the benefit of you and I. In the Islamic thinking, and I'm going to, I disputed this in one of my lecture series recently. In the majority of the Islamic thinking, there is what is known as Isalat al-Ibaha. The principle of everything that is, um, everything is principally mubah for you to be able to use. We agree with this. But in the context of when the earth is being put into 
potential damage, such like global warming and other such things, then the question is whether Isarat al-Ibaha, the principle that everything is mubah, permissible for you to use, until proven otherwise, has to be debated. But that is a fiqhi debate, and mujtahideen have to debate that. And I went through that debate in Shahr Ramadan in my series on environmental ethics, um, which is available on YouTube. I did 15 lectures on environment. Anyway, principally, everything is available for you and I to be able to use. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, take advantage of all of these things for you and I. We'll conclude here, inshallah, um, because it allows us to be able to break for Salat al-Maghrib, which of course is awjab, which is most wajib upon us to be able to do, even more so than learning about the Qur'an. So I hope, inshallah, this has been of benefit. Please read Surah Al-Nahl. Firstly, read it, but have your columns. Fill in the columns and see the number of different blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you throughout this surah. Then, inshallah, please try to read Surah Al-Nahl for yourself in terms of trying to believe and understand the blessings that Allah has given to you. Read it in light of the maqsad of the surah. And in preparation for next week, please read chapter number 17, Surah Al-Isra' so that we can be prepared for next Monday's lessons. Walhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahumma ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina Muhammad. وآله الطاهرين